<laughs> well, it's good to be here. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Rushworth. Um, it's a real privilege to be here this morning uh, with my wife, Debbie, as well as our daughter, Grace, and son, Josh. They didn't want me to say anything about them, so I <laughs> promised I wouldn't. Um, they are probably quite happy this morning that I am, uh, well, I don't know if they're happy that I'm preaching because they probably were looking for a break, but um, they will be happy that I'm not preaching from the book of Ephesians this morning, um, which I have been doing for the last two years in Fredericton. Don't know where I got that idea from, um, <laughs> but I'll not be. Uh, we currently live in Fredericton, uh, New Brunswick in Canada, um, and we've actually been there for, in Canada for nearly 10 years now. It's hard to believe. Um, but before that, Sheffield was our home and City Church was our family and still really is our family. Uh, we love this church immensely. It's so good to be here. And uh, I'm really grateful that the elders have asked me to share this morning. I'd forgotten quite how small this stage was. So it's quite likely I'm going to fall off one side or the other. Um, we made such wonderful friends when we were here in the church. God did some amazing things while we were here as well over the years. Um, the last time I preached here, actually, which was February 2020, uh, who knew that that was probably one of the last messages you were going to have for a while. Um, I, in the Shirecliff congregation, which I went up to at that point, I recounted some of the stories of God breaking in, doing miracles in and through the church as we took steps of faith. Um, there were some really exciting stories. I often think back to, as well to some of the healing miracles that took place. There was a period, I don't know who, who remembers it, who might have been here at the time. There was a period of about six weeks in 2008, I think it was, when uh, there was just so many significant healings that God was doing in and amongst us. Uh, Long-term depression was getting healed, uh, nut allergies, broken bones. I just remember turning people away. I was one of the elders here, and uh, people would come forward with healing testimonies. Oh, my migraine's been healed. And I was like, nah, it's not good enough. Um, <laughs> sending people, not really. <laughs> and of course, in the early days, of, uh, of City Church in the, uh, in the 19, I nearly said 70s, the 90, 1990s, that's right. Um, the Spirit of God was moving in power um, so tangibly. Uh, his presence was so sweet amongst us. So some really good times to look back on. But of course, Christian life isn't all was like that. It wasn't like that all the time then either. Um, but those are often the times that you think back on and you remember. Much of the time, in our Christian walk, it's day-to-day -day stuff, kind of, you know, it's ongoing faithfulness. We're not always on the mountaintops. In fact, some of the times we're in the valleys, and those can be difficult times, uh, times when our thoughts and our emotions can be difficult for us, and sometimes we can go quickly from the, the mountaintops to the valleys. I guess you, you see in the Bible, um, the prophet Elijah having a great victory on Mount Carmel, uh, seeing God's power humiliate and defeat the prophets of Baal. But then immediately afterwards, he's fleeing Jezebel. He's in the depths of despair. He's wanting to die. Um, it can seem crazy, but it can happen so easily. And uh, sometimes if we're honest, we can just get worn down by life. And, uh, you know, things not going the way that we'd hoped for. Disappointments, sickness, relationship difficulties, maybe our own failure. 
Um, I believe Jesus' disciples, maybe especially Peter, could have been going through a similar thing in the passage that we are going to look at today, which is John uh, chapter 21. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to John chapter 21. Um, I'm going to read it in a moment, but let me just recap the events um, so far up in John's gospel. I mean, in the lead up to that, it had been a crazy few weeks because this comes after the resurrection. So the disciples, I mean, the, Jerusalem was hugely busy, people everywhere, uh, crowds of people had all gathered for the Jewish festival. Um, obviously, the disciples and Jesus had come into Jerusalem. They had crowds cheering. Um, and then all the things that went on in the week leading up to the crucifixion, um, Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, um, the, the, the despondency of that time, you know, just the, the sense of well, what is going on. And then Jesus raised from the dead um, and others raised from, from the graves as well. And going into the city, it must have been quite a time. Um, appearances to the disciples of Jesus, other people as well. But by the time it gets to John 21, maybe things have quietened down somewhat. Everyone's maybe gone home from the festival, and the disciples are on their own for much of the time. They've got time to think and reflect about the things that have happened over those few weeks, and maybe about themselves as well. So why don't we read the passage? Um, John 21, I'll read verses 1 through 19. Um, it says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they weren't far off from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So, Peter, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. All right, I wonder what was going on in the disciples' mind at the start of this passage. I mean, you would have thought that they would be overjoyed. Jesus has been raised from the dead. It was the ultimate victory, such an incredible miracle, such an incredible victory over everything. And surely now this is the time to see his kingdom advance off the back of the triumph over the grave. You'd think the disciples would just be going round, telling everyone about it. You know, they were the ones who were with him. They've been vindicated. He's been vindicated. But that's not what seems to be happening here. Jesus had appeared to them a couple of times after the resurrection, but he kept disappearing soon afterwards. I wonder if there was maybe a sense of, well, what are they supposed to do next? What was the plan? He, he breathed on them in the, in the previous chapter explains. He breathed on them, said, receive the spirit. He'd said about forgiving others. But it's like, well, hang on, what is the plan though, Jesus? We were, it was so clear before. The passage doesn't tell us explicitly what was going on in the disciples' minds. So we have to make some educated assumptions at times. But what, what's clear here is there were still some things which needed dealing with in the disciples. Um, and these things were going to be a hindrance for them going forward. I would imagine as they reflected back over the previous few weeks, there would have been a lot of guilt and shame from how they themselves had behaved. Before Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'd asked them to pray with him, but they kept on falling asleep. And the guards came out to arrest Jesus, and, and Peter got his sword out to defend him. He cut off the ear of, of one of the soldiers, but then he just got a rebuke from Jesus. He'd messed it up. That wasn't the way Jesus wanted it done. And then Jesus was arrested, and all the disciples fled scattered in fear of their own lives. Even Peter, who'd been adamant that he would die for Jesus, was so afraid he denied knowing who Jesus was while standing around a fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And then after the resurrection, when Jesus had appeared to the disciples, um, Thomas hadn't even believed them because Thomas wasn't there at the time. So Jesus appeared to him again, uh, and, and Thomas was there, and Jesus said, okay, You've seen and you've believed, but blessed are those who haven't seen and believe. I guess Thomas could have thought, well, I guess I'm not much of a disciple then. You know, blessed are those who haven't seen. Okay, I've seen it. He needed to appear to me. I didn't believe. All of these thoughts would maybe keep coming back to them in the days and the weeks following the resurrection. How could they be any use to Jesus now? I mean, and clearly he wasn't around with them for most of the time. Maybe he'd got a plan B. Maybe he'd gathered some other disciples. Maybe there were some other people who were more faithful than they were. How have they got anything to bring to the table? How have they got anything to advance the kingdom? They'd already shown him. They just didn't have what it takes. So what did they do? Well, Simon Peter, as you'd expect, still takes the lead, makes the decisions. And he says, I'm going out to fish. And the other disciples decide to go with him. They could have well just been thinking, well, that's, what else can we do? That's the only thing we can do with. I'm a fisherman. I'm just going to go back and fish. I'm just going to go and do that. When all else fails, go back to something you know you can do. Something you're going to be successful in. Something where, you know, you, you just don't feel like putting yourself out there again. It's just too, it's just too much effort. I, I'm not going to take those steps of faith. 
just going to do the things I know I can do. Get a win. Except they couldn't. They couldn't. They caught absolutely nothing all night. Things are just going from bad to worse. I don't really know much about how City Church has been doing over the last year, nine, nine and a half years since we left for Canada. I don't imagine it's been plain sailing. I don't believe it's been mountaintop after mountaintop. I mean, the last three years have been pretty challenging for pretty much any church and every church in, in any country around the world. I do know it's certainly not been an easy time for us in Canada, uh, in Fredericton. I, I know some in our church, um, some people left during COVID because they felt we were too strict about the COVID regulations. We should have been challenging what the government was telling us to do, some of their rules. And some left because we felt, they felt we weren't strict enough. And then we had a pastor uh, who I was working very closely with, a close friend of mine, and he stepped down, this was just before COVID, because of burnout. And I really miss him. And we've had other elders step down because they're just too busy or have got sick. And there's, there's been a few relationship difficulties within the church. We had a church plant in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. That kind of failed, blew up pretty badly. Debbie and I lost some of our closest friends through it. I mean, it's been hard. It's just been hard. There have been some good things as well. But... Joe Crummy, our other pastor, he's, dis he's described it before now as being, feeling like it's death by a thousand cuts. You just got to own it. It's, it's not been easy. And it's so easy to look back and just wish, oh, I wish I could just go back to the good old days. I wish I could go back to those days when God was working powerfully through us. Those days of miracles, those days of stepping out in faith, seeing God answer prayer. It just seems like those days of have dried up somewhat. Maybe you look back at days in your life too, in your Christian life, when things seemed so easy. I mean, I was just recounting some of the things that happened here while we were here over the years. But I can remember back to when I was at university. There's some people I was at university with, just talking to Nick and, and, and Helen and, and Steve, uh, others, all at university with me, all kind of in the same year group here in Sheffield. And there was pretty much a revival breaking out among students. So many of our friends came to know Jesus uh, in powerful, dramatic ways. And I just got saved myself. I became a Christian first week of university. And so all these things were happening. I just thought it was normal. I just thought this is what Christian life's like. I mean, and kind of, I think well, it should be, but I mean, it was in those days. And now it can seem like there's just really tough challenges at every step. In 2022, we were praying for salvations regularly in our church in Fredericton. Um, but we, and for baptisms. Oh, we want to baptize people. I'll tell you, we didn't baptize one person in 2022. That's not a stat that you want to go really boasting about. We didn't baptize anyone. There was someone in December who told me they wanted to get baptized. We were like, yes, we've been praying for this one person. I met with them. They were like, yes, okay, we want to be baptized. And then they said, it's quite cold because we don't have a tank or anything. It's quite cold though, isn't it? I think I'll wait until summer. <laughs> oh. And bless her, she did get baptized uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> I don't think we'd gone away from Jesus 
in any of this. I mean, sometimes there's just tough times that God takes us through. But it can affect us. It can affect us. It can, it's easy for our relationship with God to crawl. And maybe you've lost some of that zeal and passion that you once had. Maybe you might be like the disciples possibly were. You might even doubt whether God truly wants to use you anymore. We can all battle these disappointments in our life. The joy, the life, the excitement of the past has died down and we think, is this it now? Is this just it? Are we just marking time? Just seeing out the day? Some of us can get jaded. We hear talks and preaching about the church, miracles, salvation, and we just think, okay. We just don't get that excitement anymore. We might not even realize we've got that kind of dullness in our spirit much of the time. We've just got used to it. And at times, sometimes it's tempting to take things back into your own hands, to try and make things happen. Maybe like the disciples did with the fishing. Sometimes we might just think, well, maybe I just need a change. Maybe I need to move churches. Maybe I need to do something to try and recreate some of that excitement. Or sometimes we might just pull back and retreat from things. Or we can default to the things which we thought we could do well and get an easy win. At one point a couple of years ago, when it, when it was really difficult and there was just a lot of disappointment, uh, I wondered whether I even wanted to carry on working for the church, if I'm honest. I even applied for a similar job to one that I'd had before. I used to work for Tear Fund years ago and, and I thought, and there was a job came up with Alpha actually, and I thought, well, maybe I could do that. It's, I, I think I can do that. I think I'm good at that. I think, I, I think I've got some skills there. <laughs> I didn't get the job. I don't think God wanted that for me. Sometimes it can feel like the disciples where just nothing seems to work. And to be honest, that's what Jesus said would be the case. When we try and do things in our own strength, when we walk away from him. In John 15 and verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Peter and the disciples found when they tried to do things in their own strength, apart from Jesus. They could do nothing. They couldn't even do the thing which was so easy for them before, the thing that was so natural, the thing that they were gifted in, trained in, skilled in. Can't catch a fish. For the disciples, by the end of the night, as morning broke, they must have been worn out and completely demoralized. And then they see a figure on the shore. And it's Jesus. But they don't recognize him. And he calls out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? <laughs> Encouraging question. No. No, they answer. And then, he, and then he gives them advice. That's even more encouraging, isn't it? Can you imagine being out on the, on the lake all night, a fisherman, you've got some, some guy, let me give you some advice. Why don't you try throwing the net on the other side? <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's amazing that they did it. Because it says they didn't know it was Jesus at this point. So it's just some guy. <laughs> they throw the net on the other side. And then suddenly there's an amazing miracle. A huge number of fish. So many they couldn't even pull the net into the boat. Can you imagine what it would be like just in an instant? So many fish just swimming into the nets, getting caught up in it. And then John, the disciple who Jesus loved, 
recognized it's Jesus on the shore. He recognized it, not because he, he could see particularly, but they've been here before. They've been here before. Jesus was taking them back. He was taking them back to the start. So when he called Peter, James, and John, you can read about it in Luke chapter 5. It's a very similar story um, in Luke chapter 5 where they're out on the lake and they're not catching anything. And Jesus says, throw the nets on the other side and they get the fish and, then, and, they, and they bring it in and they're amazed. Who is, this? Who is this Jesus? And he says, follow me, follow me. And they leave it. They leave the nets and they follow him. And Jesus is bringing them right back, right back to the start. And he's calling them again. Same place, same lake, same scenario. He's still with them. He's still doing miracles. He's still serving them. He's still calling them. So Peter jumps out of the boat and he runs to him. And the, and the others come as well. And they're, they're towing the net in can't get it into the boat and they see a fire and, and a barbecue's there and there's bread on it and there's some fish on it that makes me laugh <laughs> there's some fish on it they've tried all night to get some fish and Jesus has got a barbecue going and he's got a fish on it he doesn't even seem to have a net or a rod maybe he's done a bit of trout tickling who knows it's like he's got some fish he's got some fish he invites them. He says, bring some of the fish you caught as well. Bring some of the 153 that you've caught. I mean, he could have provided everything, couldn't he? He could have had, it, he could have had enough fish for all of them on, on the fire. It's not as though he's going to struggle. But he says, no, no, come, bring some of what you've got. It's come from him anyway. They didn't have it before he came on the scene, but he involves them. He involves them in it. And Jesus does that with us too. He invites us to serve him in building his church, in advancing his kingdom. He partners with us. He uses us. But it's only what he's doing anyway. He could do it all without us. He, he doesn't have to involve us. Apart from him, though, we can't do anything. And God can do everything. God, God can do everything without us. Paul, in, uh, when he's in Athens, in Acts 17 and verse 25, it's, Paul says to the Athenians, he's not served, this God, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He doesn't need anything from us. We can't bring anything to the table, but he gives everything to us. And he calls us. He calls us to be involved with him. It's such mercy. It's such grace. Bring some of the fish that you've caught as well. And then he says, and come and have some breakfast with me. They've been working hard. They've been striving, toiling. They're exhausted. They're demoralized. Jesus knows exactly what they need. They need to have some breakfast with him. Just sit down. Let's hang out. Let's just have some breakfast. That's so similar to what God knew Elijah needed after he'd gone on the run, after he'd found himself under a bush after defeating the prophets of Baal. An, an angel came, gave him bread and water, food and drink and rest. And then, and then he goes on some more and then he, he goes to a cave and he still, he, still can't, he still can't really cope. And God comes to him again. Do you remember the story? He comes to him, not in a fire, 
not in the wind, not in the earthquake, but he comes to him in a whisper. And in a similar way, Jesus comes to his disciples here. There's no judgment on them. There's no anger. There's no reproach for how they were, how they left him, how they didn't believe, how they deserted him, how they denied him, how they got it wrong, how they fell asleep. He's not talking about any of those things. He's saying, just come, come and eat some breakfast. Come with me. It's just a setting of grace and a friendship and relationship. And then very gently and very lovingly, Jesus begins the process of healing and restoring, especially Peter. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't brush it under the carpet. Oh, well, forget about all that now. He knows there's things that need dealing with. He knows there's things that are going on. He knows there's things that, that Peter's wrestling with that, that he needs dealing with. He's got, he's got such guilt and shame and embarrassment and, and the failure and all of this going on in him. You know, he, he's drawn to Jesus. He's running towards him, but he's like, oh, I don't know. And Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us in that, with that shame and guilt and sense of failure. He comes to us lovingly and he comes to us gently and he restores us. Maybe you've done things that you're ashamed of. Maybe you feel you've blown it. Or maybe you've just struggled with heartache and disappointment. Maybe you're just disappointed in how things have gone. You know, you're still here, but you think, it's not, it's not like I hoped it would be. It's not like I, it's not like I felt it was going to be. Maybe, maybe this is just what I've got to settle for. This morning, Jesus wants you to know he's not left you. He wants to restore you. And he wants to bring you back into his plans and his purposes. Maybe he's doing that just this morning with you. So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? I mean, what's he asking? More than these what? What's he asking about? More than these 153 fish? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I don't think so, but, but maybe. Some people think it might be. I mean, someone must have been pretty enamored with all the fish because they counted them, 153 of them. <laughs> it's possible for people to love the miracles. It's possible for people to love the healings. Oh, wow, look at this miracle. I wonder how many there are. You know, Jesus is, is speaking to Peter and he's doing all this restoration. And, and one of the disciples is like, one, two, three, four. Fish are flopping all over the place. Oh, have I counted that one? I don't know. Yeah. I wonder how long, how long it took them to count. I don't think that was Peter, though. I don't think it was Peter who was counting them. Because Peter, he wasn't even bothered about the fish when he saw it was Jesus. He leapt into the water. He left it. It was all the other disciples. Oh, I guess we better haul these in now we've got them. <laughs> he wasn't bothered about even bringing a single fish. So I don't think Jesus was talking about the fish. I think he was talking about the other disciples. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these others love me? Is what I think he was saying. Do you love me more than they love me? Do you know why he asked that? Because I think he was reminding them, Peter. I think he was reminding Peter of what he said previously in his arrogance and his, well, a kind of, a kind of pride. 
You see in Matthew 26, Matthew 26 and verse 31. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm really aware as I'm preaching that I'm, I'm, I've got a bit of a Canadian accent going on. <laughs> It's distracting me. Um, Matthew 26, 26, verse 26, verse 31. Um, Matthew 26, verse 31 says, Jesus is predicting, and he says, This very night you'll fall away on account of me, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That's what Peter said. Even if all fall away on account of me, Jesus is saying, you're all going to fall away. And Peter's going, yeah, I can well imagine it of these guys, but not me. I'm not going to fall away. I'm, I'm never going to do that. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 this very night before the rooster crows, cock crows probably in your Bible, you'll disown me three times. No, 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 Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Never disown you. What Peter's really saying is, I love you so much. I'm never going to do those things. I'm never going to let you down, Jesus. These guys, yeah. But me, no. I love you more. And Jesus is saying, okay, do you love me more than these? Is this where you're still at? Do you think that? He was so self-assured, was Peter. He couldn't imagine deserting Jesus, but Jesus knew him so well. In Matthew 26 and verse 41, when they've fallen asleep, Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You might want to, you might think you can. Actually, you can't. Your flesh is weak. We can't trust ourselves. I'm sure Peter was very sincere in his love for Jesus, but he thought that meant he'd never desert him. He thought the strength of his love meant he never let him down. But the thing is, without the Spirit's power, we're pretty weak people. The Spirit might be willing, but the, the flesh, which we can operate in so often if we're not careful, is weak. We can't do it. We can't do it outside of, outside of God's power. Jesus is saying, Peter, you said you loved me more than any of these. And this is what you were going to do to prove it. So what do you think now? What do you think now after all this has happened? Do you love me more? And this time Peter doesn't protest. He doesn't say, oh, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm giving you 110%. I'm going to give it you all. I'll be there by your side all the time. He doesn't say that now. He just says, you know I love you. You know I love you. I mean, Peter's love for Jesus has never wavered. He's just gone from thinking, I can do it all, to probably thinking, I can't do anything now. I'm useless. He thought I was the man. And now he's like, how could you want to use me? But he still loves him. I mean, these are the two attitudes that we can often have, isn't it? We can either think, yes, I'm going to take the world for Jesus. I'm going to be so powerful. God is so lucky to have me. Or we can think, how could God ever use me? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 when he's talking about us being the body of Christ. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. 
In other words, he's saying, we can't do it all ourselves. And then on the flip side, he's saying, but if the foot should say, oh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't actually stop being part of the body. In other words, don't think you're so useless and worthless that you can't be used by God. And I think lots of us do that. We fall on one side or the other. We either, we either are too proud and are, and are thinking, yes, we're great, we can serve God, we got, we've got so many gifts, we, we're so talented, we, we can preach, we can do all of these things, people are going to get saved. Or we can think, I'm just useless. How, how, can, how would God ever use me? Andrew Wilson described a similar kind of thing last week as, as being like falling off both sides of a horse. Sometimes we lean too far one way and we think we can do anything and, then, you know, and we fall off in our pride like Peter did. And then we lean too far the other way and we think, oh, I'm useless. I'm, God's never going to use me. And we fall off the other way and, and sometimes we don't even get on the horse and we go from one to the other. Jesus wants to restore us to serve him. But also he wants us to know we're completely dependent on him. He says to Peter, feed my lambs. And three times Jesus asks the same question to the point where Jesus, where Peter actually is quite hurt the third time. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know, you know I love you. Why, why are you keeping asking me? But do you know what? He's, he's asking him for the third time because he's restoring Peter fully. Because Peter's denied even knowing Jesus three times. He did, he did do that. He did stand by a fire. He stood by another fire. And he denied knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus is letting Peter know there's complete restoration for him. Complete restoration for him. He's cleansing every bit of guilt, every bit of shame. His restoration is going to be as thorough as Peter's denial. He's dealing with it all. And after breakfast was over, Peter knew the joy of forgiveness and wholeness. He was ready for everything that God had got in store for him. And Jesus went on to tell him some of what that would be. And it, and it wasn't great. It, he told him how he was going to die. He said, you know what, Peter? You said you would die for me at one point. Well, actually, you're going to. You're going to die a very similar death to the death I died. But you'll do it for me. But now every time that Peter stood, sat or stood by a charcoal fire, he's not just going to be reminded, oh, yeah, this is when I denied Jesus. This is when I blew it. This is when I messed it up. This is when it all went wrong. This is when I, I, I just feel such shame about this. Instead, he's going to remember the fire that Jesus restored him around. He's going to remember the forgiveness. He's going to remember the acceptance. He's going to remember, yes, Jesus has embraced me again. He was healed. He was transformed. He did know God's mercy, grace, and kindness. And so when Jesus said, follow me, just as he said three years previously, this time, Peter was going to follow him knowing, actually, I'm going to be empowered by Jesus now. I'm going to be filled by his Holy Spirit. I'm not going to just do it in my own strength. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. And I know everything I do is going to be because of he's doing it in me. And the disappointment of the past, even though it was very real, was never going to be a hindrance to what Jesus had for him in the future. So how about you? How about you? Where are you at in your walk with Jesus? Maybe some of you are like you were, are like Peter was after Jesus' first call to follow him. You love him. You're passionate about him. You feel you can do anything. You feel give anything for him. 
You might even look at others and think, you know what, I'm far more zealous than they are. Debbie and I sometimes laugh kind of roof, ruefully. We look back at what we were like in our 20s. We, we, we wrote letters to each other um, when we were at university, and we both fairly new Christians, and we, we said some terrible things about how much more radical we were for Jesus than everyone else around us. <laughs> we, we were so full of ourselves. It was terrible. You know, such pride, self-sufficiency, it, it just leads to a fall. We've got to repent of our pride. We've got to realize without Jesus, we can't do anything. But for other people, and I suspect probably more people here today, that initial fervor and passion might have died. And this morning, Jesus is coming here, and he's addressing some of the things that are hindering us. I wonder what's hindering us from persevering with him. I wonder what wounds we have that are making us cynical. What idols are maybe distracting us? What fears are keeping us distance? What guilt is making us hide? And what shame is making us reach for a mask? Jesus wants to break through that this morning. He wants to restore people. And he's coming so lovingly and gently to people this morning. He's not coming with an earthquake, fire, wind of judgment. He's coming in a whisper. He's coming to give some of us food and rest. For Debbie and I personally, he's giving us a sabbatical, which we're just about to start, an opportunity to rest, recover, spend time with him. And we're really grateful for that. And we're so glad we can be here for much of that time with you. But maybe some of you need some time just to be fed by him, to spend time with Jesus, to receive his loving provision. Some of us may have just grown weary. The joy of our salvation seems to have gone. It's just hard work. Maybe no results. Some of us live with deep sadness and disappointment. Some of us live with regret, guilt, shame. We feel we've blown it. Listen, Jesus' love demonstrated for us in his death on the cross and his resurrection will deal with all of that as we come to him. Jesus wants to come to you today to bring restoration, forgiveness, removal of shame, wholeness. And he has things for you to do. He has sheep for you to take care of and to feed. Will you come to him this morning, even in your pain and your disappointment and your brokenness?